0: jam-packed episode today, as Bishop Caggiano gives us an update on the parish reconfiguration and collaboration that's happening here in the Diocese of Bridgeport. And then, he's going to talk about the present USCCB Fall General Assembly. So let's get to it. We're on 1350 AM and 103.9 FM, and on your phone with the Veritas mobile app. You can download the app at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or VeritasCatholic.com. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. With Thanksgiving in view, this is now a season of gratitude and Foundations in Faith is asking you to remember two critical ministries on Giving Tuesday. The first is the St. Francis Xavier Fund for Missionary Parishes, which supports vibrant inner city parishes facing financial challenges. For example, many of these parishes have old boilers that break down. The St. Francis Xavier Fund is there to provide new boilers to keep the heat on in these inner city parishes. The second ministry is Foundations and Charities Mental Health Matters Campaign, which supports mental health services provided by Catholic Charities of Fairfield County. As you know, the need for mental health services is truly great. Please help them and your fellow brothers and sisters in need during this holiday season. To help, go to bridgeportdiocese.org and click on the Giving Tuesday link. Or keep an eye out for an email from Bishop Caggiano with a link for your support. Thank you for helping Foundations in Faith and Foundations in Charity provide essential services to the more vulnerable people and parishes right here in our community. Okay, here we go. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I'm Steve Lee and it is my great pleasure as always to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, good morning to you, my friend. Hey, Excellency. How are you? You You know, I'm I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Yes, I'm out of September and October always crazy because as you know, I coach soccer. Now I'm out of that and uh, I'm settling into more of a routine, lots of good. stuff to do for Veritas. So it's good.
1: good. good. Yeah. So let me t- How let are me you doing, Excellency? Yes. Well, I'm, I'm better for your asking, to be honest, but extremely busy. Absolutely sure. busy. With the yeah. Institute launch on the catechism, the USCCB meeting going on, it's just a whole bunch of stuff, my goodness.
0: Anyway, yeah.
1: I was curious, uh, how did our um, fundraising effort at Veritas Code, was it successful? Yes.
0: Yes, it was it was. We hit our goal uh, and so that's good. that's good. We had a we had an awesome Friday, which was great. Good. So Excellent. you know it's I um I, the the thing about the pledge drive is that uh, it's obviously necessary for us from a fundraising perspective, but it's also. You know, even if I had like a, an endowment of $10 million, I would still do it because it's, it's an opportunity for our listeners to become partners with us and really Absolutely. participate in the mission of what we're doing. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That, is my, that is my rationale for the annual
1: the Catholic Appeal. Now we call it the Bishop's Appeal. It's not so much of the quantity that a person can give. It's the fact that they give it all. And they're making themselves committed yes. to the mission of serving other people. That's why I've always wanted 100% participation, right? right? Which we're nowhere near. And yes. For the same reasoning, the same reasoning you just mentioned. Good. Good. Well, there's yeah. lots going on, my friend. Lots going on.
0: Oh, my goodness. There is. Yeah. There is. Well, you know, I, I guess um, so. This show is a nice platform for you to to keep people up to date on what's happening yep. here in the diocese. Yeah. Yep. And yep. it was just over a year ago, September of last year that we first talked about um, parish collaboration and reconfiguration here in Bridgeport. Mm-hmm. 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 And, and so and much has happened I guess I, yeah. since then,
1: right? Yes. So tell us. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to, and I, and I just think I, I want to take a step back <laughs> and remind everyone why this process is so important. And it is not because it's an administrative process or a financial process. Quite frankly, its importance is because it's the church working at its best when people who can remember, parish boundaries are man-made boundaries. For God, there is only the Church. We create these boundaries because we have to be governed, and we have to have administration and just a good order. But, but for the Lord, it's only His mystical body, right? We don't draw a line between our foot and our hand to say, you know, we can't talk to each other. That <laughs> <It> just doesn't <laughs> work that right. way, <laughs> <laughs> right? right? And and the littlest thing, you know, you stub your your little baby toe, and like you're crippled is that interesting? The the smallest member of the body can cause pain for the whole body. It's the same idea. It's the same idea. And the applications Mm. go beyond what we do in the diocese. For example, the annual mission appeal to the pontifical mission societies is extremely important for all of us to be part of. Because what happens in the church of Ethiopia or Nigeria or the Philippines or Cuba or whatever or wherever it may be, it's the same church. Right? If you consider all the boundaries to be man-made just for good governance, they are why would we not be vested and in, interested in that? so it's, it's one church. Right? So the same thing in the diocese. So what has happened in the last year? Oh my goodness, it's gonna be five shows. But Let's start with let's start with diocesan mission. Remember, I mentioned in the parishes that are already merged, the hope would be that the campus, one of the campuses, would continue to serve the people there, but also serve a larger group of people. So I am so excited about what's going on at St. Emery's in Fairfield. Because we have two Carmelites who are going to be opening cloistered uh, convent, a monastery in the former rectory of St. Emery. And they are going to live a life of prayer for everyone, everyone. And for what I understand, the people of St. Emery's will will have already met the sisters by the time this airs. And um, the initial reaction is very positive. So they benefit from the the, the, uh, presence of the sisters, but we all do by their prayers and their life is totally in prayer, right? So that's one, right? The conversations we are doing, right? We're having, we met a few weeks ago and I don't think I'm speaking at a school, but what we are hoping to do in the diocese is to collaborate with Veritas, which is a tremendous piece of the communication ministry of the diocese right and all the diocesan offices that exist you know the newspaper social media all the rest and we want to create a center where we are all together and all collaborate right so that yes we can move forward in an integrated way to not only inform but to help form people around the truths of the faith that's exciting Yes, and that is that will be hopefully in January. We'll have more news about inaugurating that, and we'll have a new home, right? Yeah, they walk, please God, right? Yep, in the new home yes. of the Catholic yes. cemeteries. All that just happened in the last three weeks, four weeks, right? <laughs> right. So, so that's the diocesan mission. Everybody working together now for the actual parish processes. <clears throat> I met with the pastors of the diocese last week, and we made history, we made history. And the history is next year, the diocese will be 70 years old. Hmm. It was the first time that what circulated among the pastors was the letter that the pastors of the city of Stratford, and they are five, co-authored a letter that announces to the people of the city That the five parishes are going to begin to work more closely together in ministry, in service to those people, and to start by adjusting their mass schedule, which we talked about, I think, earlier. They finally Mm. announced to everyone in one letter signed by five pastors and myself. That's historic. Mm -hmm. And the schedule is going to be posted in all five parishes so that a person can go to a parish other than their home parish, and still or and of course, worship the Lord, of course, but also financially support their parish, simply by putting their envelope into the collection of another parish, because a system is being created where all those envelopes will go back to their regular homes, every hmm. week, for okay. accounting, right. So that level of cooperation, I was just so happy to see that they took the lead on doing that. So by the third week of November, any Catholic in Stratford living there or visiting can go to mass on Sunday morning. On every half hour, there is a mass starting. Wow. So they adjusted their mass schedules so that starting at I think it's 7.30 in the morning or seven o'clock in the morning. I don't forget, it. I don't remember exactly. Every half hour in one of the parishes, mass is being. So there's no excuse to say I can't go to mass. No, you can. not And there's mass at night on Sunday night. Right. There's mass Saturday night. But that's what I mean by people working. T- in this case, pastors working together for the benefit of the people of a region.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right? And, and, and in Stratford's they, case, they'll remain f- five distinct parishes. Correct, but there they're is they'll no working parish together.
1: Merger. They're working together. Now, the next piece of this puzzle is they're going to start a process of discerning how best to serve the growing number of Hispanic Catholics who are moving into Stratford. And they're going to do a discernment process together. Because the Hispanics live in certain parishes in Stratford to date, not in all of them. But I think all the pastors are going to be in some way, shape or form informed of what's going on and others really involved in a discernment process that says, how do we serve our new neighbors in a way that meets their need? Not because we think they need X, no, no, no. Let us ask them, sit with them, talk with them and devise something that we could share rather than compete in serving the needs of the people. First time that's happening that there's an actual discernment process that's shared by more than one parish. Tremendous news! And then they're moving on to the work yeah. of of uh, high schoolers, middle schoolers, and high schoolers, which is the same thing that's going on in in, in uh, Fairfield. There is conceptual agreement. So, among them yeah, please ask me.
0: Wow. So uh, this is this is really pretty awesome. How did Mm -hmm. they, did you ask them to do this or did they just get together among themselves and decide to start moving forward on this?
1: I invited myself to their first meeting and asked them to explore ways of collaboration. The pastors, to their great credit, wanted to start with Sunday masses. And I asked them to consider the discernment of Hispanic ministry and we all agreed on the middle school, high school program. So it was a, it was a combination. And I go to all of their meetings as to try to support them in this work. Okay. So wow. 99% Great. of the credit goes to the pastors, not to me for this. Right?
0: And fantastic. And
1: show you, Steve, how, how it can have an effect, there was a pastor who will go nameless, who is also a dean, after the pastor's meeting, wrote to me and said, we in my, na- my neighborhood, in my neck of the woods, we should do the same thing. And I said, well, it's a little bit more complicated, so you can't just like do it in a day. I said, but I will circle around and meet with the pastors of that region to start that process. Right? That's great. So in a sense, you could say it's no longer just simply I go to my, I go to my parish for mass But it is, I go to my parish for mass, and if I can't get to my parish, these are the parishes. I know exactly what's going on where I can go. Because we're one family. We're one church in the end, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, Mm -hmm. one body. Yeah, exactly. Uh, The pastors of Fairfield have conceptually agreed on a model for middle school, high school formation. That will have one parish as the hub and activities in all the parishes, right? So they have begun work. I don't wanna get more into the details because it's premature, but they are working on the details. And the hope would be that DREs and parish leaders will become part of the conversation so that by early spring, we would have some really exciting announcements that says that all the young people of Fairfield can be together right, in their formation, and at the same time grow roots in their individual parishes. And that's a win-win. You know, I met the leadership of St. John's Parish in Darien a couple of weeks ago, and this question came up, and I made the observation that, and of course, there's always um, a healthy skepticism when people hear this, and rightfully so, because it's so new for us. But I made the observation there. um, How many high schools, public high schools, are there in Darien? And the answer is one. So these young people are together all the time, even though they may belong to different parishes in Darien, because there are two parishes. So my question to them is, don't you think there are certain things we should be doing together simply because in every other aspect of their life, they're together. We are the ones who separate them. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The same thing with Fairfield. If I'm not mistaken, there's only two high schools, I think, that they, they right. go to. In two public high correct? schools. Two public high yes, schools. Yes, two public. Yes. And we have, what, five parishes in Fairfield. So these young people know each other. They socialize. They do it. So why would we not put them together for certain aspects of formation and then have others in their parish? So the pastors of, of Fairfield are very much on their way. of creating this structure as the pastors in Norwalk. And the interesting thing is, and I've spoken about this about Norwalk, their first meeting, they had, if I heard the numbers correctly at the pastor meeting, they had about three quarters of the young people enrolled in their individual programs come together for a common regional event. More than 150 young people together. Awesome. And why is that important? It's important in part because a young person can say, you know, if I'm trying to live my life as a Christian, you know, in my parish, there's 30 others, but now there's 150 others in my city. Suddenly, right. It's an encouragement just to be together.
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's so, and then there's Bridgeport. Now Bridgeport is extremely complicated because you have um, some very large parishes, like the Cathedral Parish, St. Mary's, St. Charles Borromeo, just to name a few. You have um, ethnic parishes like St. Michael's, which is overwhelmingly Polish. You have Our Lady of Fatima, which is Portuguese, right? Then you have St. Cyril and Methodius Oratory, Where you basically have the Institute and the traditional Latin Mass and the traditional, all the sacraments in the traditional form. If I could use that kind of way of describing. Then you have the cathedral that's already merged. You have parishes that were merged into other parishes, and a lot of those sites are um, underutilized or not utilized at all. Then you have St. Margaret Shrine which is really meant to be a place of pilgrimage. So imagine the opportunities and the complexity of working together in Bridgeport. And yet they are, they are. For example, Hmm. there's a group of five parishes that are working together, the first ones, to look at how they could share administration to save cost, save money, and put some of the money saved towards pastoral ministry. So the administrative costs that they're looking at, for example, would be sharing parish secretaries, uh, bookkeepers or business managers, plant managers, buying their supplies together so that they have more bulk and therefore a greater discount. I mean, nuts and bolts. They're the first to try to figure out if they can work together and how they could do that. Then there are the parishes that serve the Hispanic community. And I mean, it's huge. I was at St. Charles this past Saturday for their 120th anniversary. First of all, the church was packed. You have four communities in one parish working together as one family. And so the Hispanic community, St. Charles is huge. St. Mary's is huge. St. George is very big. At St. Peter's. So those pastors are working on the cathedral. They're working on a regional pastoral plan to do what? to share baptismal instruction, to share pre-cana and marital instruction for couples, to form a program to support newlyweds once they're ordained, to be able to do adult faith formation together rather than separately. And certain courses would be in one parish, certain courses would be in another. I mean, they've they've just begun this process, which will take longer because it's so complicated. But could you imagine, can you imagine having Bible study every week Going on yeah. and, uh, and and having the opportunity to do it in English and in Spanish in one of the parishes where we could travel to,
0: yeah. A- and I love that it's um it's an opportunity also to step outside your your uh your natural community that you would kind of stick to. So Portuguese with the Polish with you know right. all of them have to come together for certain things. I love that. Right, right, and you learn from each other.
1: Right, You learn from each other. The other thing that why, why yes. this is so exciting to me is, do we want coverage or do we want excellence? They're not the same thing. What I mean mm-hmm. by coverage is we offer something for different groups. You know, young people, young adults, newlyweds, those getting married, all us. And for a parish to do all of that in excellence, is very difficult. It costs tremendous amount of resources, personnel, lay leaders. So if we want coverage, then we could continue to do what we're doing. If we want excellence, then we have to join forces together. And that's ultimately what we're talking about. I asked the pastors of all the Hispanic parishes to send to me the names of potential catechists who would teach adults the Catholic faith teach adults sacred scripture, teach adults the morality of modern day issues. And the names that are coming forward, some of them I know very well, are just superb, absolutely superb. Mm-hmm. And to think that that person could teach for an audience of the entire diocese, well now suddenly this is excellence that would never have been possible before. Yeah, And that's what, that's what we're exploring, right? So in the year, you know, people say, is that all you did? Well, one could, if we were a business, one could go in and say, you do this, you do that, you do this, you do that. But we're not a business. We're a church. We're the Church of Jesus Christ, right? We're the mystical body of Christ. And for this to truly have a lasting effect, you have to engage people and help them see the vision and help them to move forward and embrace it. And so now it's like picking up steam in a locomotive. The steam is building. It's building in these areas and more will come because Stanford is not far behind. Greenwich is yep. not far behind. Danbury is not far behind. So there's going to be, a, of course, from my perspective to keep track of all of it's going to be quite the challenge, but it's okay. Yeah. Rise to do what you got to do, but it's so you have the possibility of just allowing this to flourish in a way that will call up new leadership. Now there's one other thing too. I'm going to warn everyone about this. What we have never done in the past is to really invite people. and, And more than invite them is really to challenge them to do a discernment of gifts and talents. Because every single person who comes to church has a gift and a talent, at least one that was given in part to be shared. For us to become truly both parochial and regional, we need a lot more leadership to come forward. And we are going to be inviting people to do an assessment of oneself. What are the gifts God has given me? What do I do? What do I do very well? What is my training or professional or academic studies help me to learn or to be able to do that uh, maybe someone else cannot do and to at least ask like tithing to give one back to the church, to Christ and share that, whether that's in finance, whether that's in buildings, whether that's in teaching, whether that's in, you know, ministry to young people, whether it's accompanying couples who are getting married or just recently married, whether it's sitting with the sorrowful in bereavement, whether it's sitting with those who are struggling because of wounds in life, whether it's to serve as an ambassador, which we talked about, whether it is to visit the sick or to sit with the elderly. or I mean, I could go on and on and on. Everybody has to give one gift back. Now, how do you think that's going to be received?
0: I hope it's received with open arms. <laughs>
1: right, It's going to stretch people out of their comfort.
0: Yes. Right. And do you know how you're going to issue that call, Ex- uh, Excellency, and how, I, I, how you're going to encourage people to make that valuation?
1: Well, we, there were existing programs. There were existing resources. We, we started to vet them out now. The, the goal would be to make those available to each of the parishes and say, um, this is the sort of literature that you, you make the call and people have to bring stuff home right, or have it online so that they can be guided in their discernment. Because the key is most people do not realize their own gifts and talents, Hmm. right? There are hidden gifts. It's like diamonds that are buried that a person may never have actually thought of that they could do or could offer, which in fact they can and should. So part of the discernment is to say, okay, I'm aware of my strengths, my gifts, But do I have others? That I'm not aware of?
0: Yeah.
1: Right. And then you need to lead the person to develop them to become comfortable in development and then share them. Right?
0: Right. Yes. Yes.
1: And some of it Steve is personality driven too, because there are people who are tremendously gifted in working with other people. It Mm -hmm. could be as simple as that empathy, sympathy, listening skills. And if you have to, if you feel as if nobody's willing to listen to you and to your story and to your wounds, that's what you share. That's what you share. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so the progress is building steam. Is my message? It's building steam in certain areas of the diocese. Others are going to follow suit. So, my request of everyone who listens to our podcast is to keep an open mind when these initiatives become more. Detailed and public, because it's not how we've always done things, but actually, we've never always done it that way. The church is very right. old, right? And, yes. you know, structuring the parish council in a certain way was not a concern of St. Peter and St. Paul. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yep. And, and we could figure our way through all of that. Mm-hmm. so yes. that's
0: the Do you have questions uh i only i don't know if this is a question but so this seems like when people think of okay uh, parish reconfiguration the thing that you said a year ago was that it doesn't mean right away a lot of structural change and closing this and shutting that down it, it's going to be a process guided by the Holy Spirit. This seems like a genius like step towards assessing what structurally needs to get done. And, and, exactly. and, and, you're, and bringing the pastors together already to start working together on things. So they're open to, okay, you know what? You're good at this or this is right for that. or That's awesome.
1: <laughs> and I think the people of God will follow very easily. Right. Because the pastors are responsible for their parishes, you know, canonically, administratively, financially. And so they are the ones who are going to be the most skeptical because Mm -hmm. in some sense, the buck still lands on their desk when things don't work out. Yes. But I think the people of God, once they get to see that this can really make some positive change, I don't think people and I'm hoping and I'm banking on the people's support to get this to build even more steam.
0: Oh, I think it's great. It sounds sounds excellent. Holy Spirit is kind of pretty smart.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, you tell me. I'm just coming along for,
0: for the for the ride, really. It's what it comes down to, <laughs> right? All right. So uh, I think we should probably take a break, Excellency. Yes. And, please. Uh, okay. So you're listening to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network with Bishop Frank Caggiano.
2: The number is 203-742-1450. And select option five or visit www.ctcemeteries.org.
0: All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Um Excellency, did you have anything more you wanted to talk about uh, about this parish um plan yes. before we, yes. we we move on? Yes, yes.
1: At least two possibilities, all right? Possibilities that are beyond our ability to address right now. But we chatted before we started recording that you coach soccer, right, Steve? All right. Yes. So a lot of our young people are in athletic leagues right, that do tremendous work, but they're not always Catholic. They're not always respectful of Sunday. There's a lot of issues, right, going on. I'm thinking to myself, well, you know what? As parishes learn to work together, then regions can work together. And why could we not imagine in a few years to have an athletic association of all the parishes of the diocese and have a league for basketball or soccer, whatever it is that involves our kids, that would allow coaches to be formed in the faith, to be witnesses of the faith to respect Sunday or at least Sunday morning so that there's nothing going on so people can go to mass and be able to use this as a formative presence. We can't do it unless we all work together and it's gotta come from below, not from above. One possibility Mm -hmm. in the future of of what this could yield, which would be tremendous. And quite frankly, I think a lot of parents would welcome it because they don't have to make all these choices with with their young people, particularly on Sunday mornings or involved in leagues that the only thing that matters is winning at all costs. Right. Yeah. Right. That's one possibility. The other possibility is, could, could you imagine an information system that allows us to become a community that's closed to just the members that would be all about Information scheduling formation in faith, like almost like talking with your relatives, your friends, and that happens all the time. But to create actually, there's work underway for a system just like that is be, is being beta tested now, where hmm. you could share okay. information amongst people in your parish that you wouldn't want to put on the internet for everybody in the universe to see. But the family should see it,
0: right? Right.
1: And a way for pastors yeah. to communicate and pastors of region to communicate. Another possibility, and there's so many other possibilities when parishes begin to work together. Yes.
0: Yep. What do you think of this, this athletic furthers- league?
1: Yeah. What do you think of that? You're you're a coach.
0: Yeah. So first of all, yeah, with that athletic league, I love it because I feel blessed to be able to coach a Catholic high school boys team. Mm-hmm. So just as much as teaching them the game, trying to get them to win games, you know, teaching them the foundations of the sport, I'm really every day trying to impress upon these young men what it means to be a Catholic man and mm-hmm. how to uh how to glorify God on the field with the hard work you put in at practice, with the way you treat the other players, with the way you treat your teammates and the referees and really uh My goal with them is not just to turn them into great soccer players, but to help them become authentic Catholic men. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, to the extent that a coach can do that. So I love that. I love that, Excellency. Well, listen, Steve. A coach can do it sometimes more
1: effectively than a mother or father at a certain age in someone's life. There's a bond with uh, like a young man or a young woman who's really serious about you know, their athletic abilities and wanting to develop them, the discipline, the hard work, they will do things that their coach asks that their parents may have more difficulty having them like take out the garbage. But <laughs> I mean, in the meantime, yeah. if you're gonna run fifty laps, they'll do it. So a coach is a witness right. and a role model, right? And if we have the yeah, right people I, yeah, coaching I, I... Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. I think, and I even see it with my own son, you know, I'll tell him to do something at home. And uh, if he puts up a fuss, I'll be like, you know what, if I asked you this on the soccer field, you would do it right away.
1: (laughs) Then he gets up and does it. It gets and does it. But the the point is, because there is, a um, remember the vision we spoke about, that it's one of the paths to encounter Christ is recreation and socialization Yes. That's, that occurs in the mind of Christ is a powerful way to encounter him. And you do it over and over again, it begins to form you with a certain mindset. And that's extraordinarily yep. important, right? So yep. that's not possible from the top down. That cannot happen if the diocese says, I want to create this. You, people say, why? Well, because it will not be received as a felt need. It will be received as a mandate from on high. Another crazy idea that this crazy bishop came up with. <laughs> but if it's from below, it's a felt need. People are already vested, and the, the diocese is the one to help, you know, give it form and shape. But the impetus yeah. is already there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I also really like this uh this um uh, online communication system uh, that you're uh, looking into i'd love to talk to you more about it or whoever because I think that is um, that's just fantastic it 's another way to to create community right. and uh, right. and I, I, I just love it. so
1: you see uh, this is my view of it, but why I think it 's compelling is the the uh, uh, social media generally speaking is designed to drive information out and to connect people. Now, there are ways to block others, I'm sure. I'm not all that technologically savvy, but I'm sure there's ways to kind of create smaller communities that are isolated or at least don't have the same interchange as others. Because the sort of thing you want to talk about should not be for public consumption, and quite frankly, should not be open to people's comments. Mm-hmm. Right? So. I want, if I'm, if it's the anniversary of my mother's death and I'm struggling that morning for whatever reason, because, you know, I'm sorrowful, I'm, you know, I I miss her, whatever. If I have a community that I know that's supportive, I'm going to share it. But I'm not going to share for the whole world because I don't quite frankly care what the world thinks (laughs) about it. (laughs) Right. 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 So, and there are ways to do that on these platforms. But if we created an our own platform that, by its it, by its essence, is open to those who register, who would be, for example, in our parishes only, or even in our parishes, those subgroups, I just think you would have a level of connection and forming community that would be more meaningful than what you have now in social in the social media world,
0: right? Yeah. I agree. Sure. I agree. Actually, we at Veritas are working on something similar, so I would love to collaborate with you. Oh, yeah. Good. Oh, actually, I'll give but, you the um, info then.
1: Okay. Yep. Okay.
0: Good. Excellent. Uh, so, so, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, Excellency, is, uh, so we recorded this ahead of time, but when this airs on Wednesday, mm-hmm. you will be at the USCCB.
1: Yes. Fall
0: General Assembly. Yes. Absolutely.
1: In fact, I'll be in Baltimore for eight days, the longest I've ever been because of the launch oh, wow. of the Institute, which is three days, then committee meetings, mm-hmm. and then there's the USCCB meeting. Now, the USCCB meeting is very interesting. It goes begins Monday morning with a morning prayer, and then Monday afternoon to Thursday morning, and there is a lot more time in executive session because the bishop's have been asking for more time to have conversations amongst themselves that is not open to the news or to public consumption so that they can be more frank in what they want to say, mm-hmm. pardon the pun, with each other and not be misquoted all right, in, right. in the social media world. Right. The, from what I understand, the seating is changing. The arrangements are changed. So, of course, when this... Airs the proof will already be in the pudding, but we're not going to be sitting at those tables anymore. That we look like it's it's like you know a dormitory. That the uh-huh. tables will be set in such a way so that we there's more interaction. We'll be facing each other, right? And there'll be more time for conversation, more time for prayer, and that I think is woefully overdue.
0: Yeah, right. Because right, you said in the past that uh, a lot of the a lot of really important stuff happens on side conversations and private and one-on-one and things done. like that. So this, uh, right. And there's, well, right. And there's, there's a, there's a frankness and then also um, less opportunity to the extent that there would be this for posturing if it was closed doors. So. Oh, thank great. you. You said it. I didn't.
1: Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Smiling for the camera. Exactly. <laughs> right. We don't, we don't need much of that anymore. we smiled enough at the cameras, right? <laughs> right. See, see, but again, draw the analogy. Um, the pastors coming together now and talking about these subst- substantial issues are beginning to, to create ideas that, and initiatives that we never had before. The same will happen with the bishops. Again, a lot of the stuff that comes from the USCCB with the best of intentions comes from the secretariats and from the offices, right? And they try to orchestrate a collaboration. And that you need to do. So please, I'm not criticizing that at all. That's absolutely necessary. But then there's a different type of collaboration that is from below. That As bishops have the opportunity to discuss, that would then go up to the, usccb structure and say well these are our concerns that we would like you now to take the next step and explore yeah right Mm -hmm. so we have a lot to do we have i think the uh, translation for the anointing of the sick and we have other pastoral issues we have our strategic plan for the next few years we have the synod on synodality reports um Mm we budgets. have the charter that's coming up we have budgets right and then we have the elections mm-hmm. that have to go on yes and, and, and new chair and all the rest so uh, there's a
0: lot
1: <laughs> yes you're and smiling. so why i are you will smiling? definitely
0: <laughs> because i will de- you i think you can sense what's coming because i will definitely get people who pull me aside and say why didn't you ask about this or i'll get an email or two or something asking about the election because You, Excellency, are on the slate um, for uh, the the ballot, I guess, for president of the USCCB.
1: Okay, so now let's let's. uh, By the time this airs, this will all be history, of course. Uh, So that people so people understand, uh, there was an instruction that came from Rome, um, maybe a year and a half ago, that clarified. That for Episcopal conferences, the office holders, president, vice president, I believe it's also secretary and treasurer, cannot serve in their retirement or or when they are eligible for retirement. So if you turn yes. 75 during the term, you're ineligible to run. And because right. Archbishop villeron is older than 73, and he is not eligible-
0: The current vice president- Right.
1: Then, in fact, the slate is wide open. And the 10 names, the way they are designed is the person who gets majority plus one becomes president. Then the ballot remains. And then the person uh, 50% plus one becomes vice president. And I'm not exactly sure about secretary and treasurer if they're on that ballot or they're separate ballots. I don't, that I honestly don't remember. I don't think they're on that. So they have a large, and you, you go on the list because someone nominates you. And of course, I was asked whether I wanted to be on the ballot or not. And of course, you know, I, I think it, it, it is good to um, acknowledge the generosity and kindness of other bishops who would say, We think whoever it was thought that I could do this job. In fact, there are people on that list who are far more competent. And experience than i am right to be president but you know the the bottom line is everything is a work of, of grace in the holy spirit so yeah you, you just allow the events to transpire the way they transpire always trusting and knowing that god is leading it the way god wants yeah
0: right yeah i i don't know if they're more competent than you excellency there are some big uh well-known names on the ballot oh, um yeah. uh oh, yeah. al- alongside yours um i don't know mm-hmm. if i should be rooting for you or not rooting for you because I the more stuff should. that takes you away from us
1: <laughs> yeah no i think i think you should occupy yourself with other things
0: <laughs> <not> talking <laughs> <about>. <laughs> okay? maybe maybe you know uh, so, so there's a lot of stuff, as you mentioned, on the agenda and a lot of stuff that is not going to be uh, open to the public. But I guess um, the laity, we don't need all the inside baseball stuff. But what are, what's, like, what's important for us to take away from the fact that the USCCB meets twice a year and you know this fall?
1: Well, I think it, it, the takeaway is that the bishops are trying to work together for the greater good of the church. Um, and that is a very positive thing. Uh, the way we operate sometimes g- gives the impression that we are almost like a political or bureaucratic body. And that's just, that's not the intent. That's not, not a single bishop that I know of intent. It's, again, going back to the administrative structure of the church. you got to operate a certain way or else you have bedlam. But what I'm very thrilled about this meeting is that we're, the innovation is beginning right? It's beginning to get bishops to sit across from each other and talk heart to heart about the issues they're facing. The other two is, yes, I mean, as is going on in parishes, so is going on in dioceses. right? So a few years ago, Juno and Anchorage merged into a single diocese. Hmm. Juno was merged into okay. the Archdiocese of Anchorage. So we already have a precedent, yep. right? It's public knowledge, that the Diocese of Steubenville and the Diocese of Columbus yes. are exploring emerger. I have heard other rumors of other such conversations underway, which may not come to wow. fruition. But the truth is, it's like everything else. You have to ask yourself, as stewards of the gifts of God's people, how do you best utilize them? Because to run a diocese demands a significant amount of money. Would it not be better yeah. in certain cases to put that money towards ministerial use, right? But again, like parishes, you know, dioceses are places of loyalty and membership and affection. And, and if you're suggesting that a diocese merge into another one, it's a traumatic experience for a lot of people. Sure. Yes. So the question is why, yes. why, 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 why is this happening? And may I be so bold and so brash to say maybe there is another way. Maybe there is among dioceses to do the same thing that we're attempting to do among parishes. That maybe we could share offices or we could share ministries and keep dioceses canonically independent, but draw their leadership together to work together. There could be another road as well yet to be explored.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just trying to imagine the city of Columbus and the city of Steubenville, I think are something like around three hours drive apart from each other. Mm -hmm. For one bishop to manage all of that geography would be a lot, it feels like. From a macro perspective, Excellency. So it doesn't have to be specifically about Columbus and Steubenville, but some of the reasons uh, that you might consider a merger would be um, financial and uh, maybe uh, faithful Catholic attendance, vocations, and things like that. What are what are some of the things that you know? I, th- I think would be grappled with on the positive and the negative side of things as yes uh, uh, people but, look to, to the diocese merge merged.
1: All right so on the, the negative yes. side it would there there are many not least of which you know it, it, it uh, it's a dislocation from everything that was kind of like your center point or compass right because I could belong to multiple parishes, but there's the diocese that holds us together so to merge a diocese can be very as I said of dramatic and traumatic because that centerpiece moves. So if I'm in the diocese of A, and now suddenly the diocese of B is where my bishop and my cathedral are, that's a lot, that's very hard, right? Then there's the question of geography, like you mentioned, this question of personnel, right? It's a question of ministry, it's a question of culture, culture. Dioceses have very different cultures. And how do you mesh those cultures? No different than merging parishes, that they have different cultures. And then they also have different cultural and ethnic compositions. And how is that going to be respected? You have clergies that have not been really part of each other, right, for in some cases for many, many years. Like we were formed out of the Archdiocese of Hartford. I was recently told that the original Archdiocese of Hartford was the state of Connecticut and the state of Rhode Island, was the Archdiocese huh. of Hartford. Now, I am sure the culture in uh, Western Fairfield County and the culture in Norwich, uh, up north, mm-hmm. or Providence, Rhode Island, you're still a very different place. Yeah. Right. Right. So the merger yes. may be prompted for a lot of administrative and financial and practical reasons. But it does create other challenges that have to be worked through in time it's It's not easy yeah. to do. yeah
0: yeah yeah, I guess as evidenced by the fact that so Steubenville's bishop has he said that he's been work, talking to Vatican officials for more than a year, and even now I guess it's uh being delayed again, consideration of this because eighteen priests and deacons from Steubenville have asked for more time for discussion and and Communication, so okay, yeah, and again, and collaboration is
1: extremely important. You know why? Because whatever happens, we want it to be successful. That the people of the diocese, if it becomes one diocese, can work together, you know, and build up the the church. Collaboration yeah. is extremely important, right? So, yeah, and who knows yeah. what the future holds, right? We in our diocese, right. as I said before, we're going to try this other model. Because I think it will achieve equal, if not better, results with less dislocation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, because even even in a family of five, like the Lees are, I could just drag the other four into what I want the family to do. But it's much easier if I collaborate with my kids and with Rula, of course, and, and we all move together, you know, together moving our feet instead of me dragging them.
1: Yeah, because in the end, you can't force someone's heart to cooperate.
0: Right, yeah. So how much more for a diocese and a bishop? Of course, yeah, that's- Could you imagine how complicated Gosh. that is? Gosh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. But they will come. There will be mergers of diocese. It will come, because we just yeah. have to be very prudent in the use of our resources and time and talent to, to benefit the most people we can at any given time right
0: yeah makes sense okay so uh let's take one more break excellency this is let me be frank on the veritas catholic network we're going to come right back with a listener question on the other side of the break
2: hey it's
0: matt from restless on the veritas catholic radio network Each week on Restless, we young adults restlessly seek the face of Christ in today's crazy and mixed-up world. Join us
2: each Friday at noon on 1350 AM, 103.9 FM, the Veritas app, or wherever you get your shows. Hope to see you there.
0: Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, I love the questions that came in today. came in from two different people, um, but there's three questions here. They're all related, so we'll answer them all. Dear Bishop Frank, is it necessary to believe in guardian angels? How do we know that the stories and details about angels and the archangels are actually true? Mm -hmm. And did Jesus have a guardian angel? Okay.
1: Is it necessary (laughs) for us to believe? It's an article in the catechism. It's articulated doctrine. So the answer is yes. And there's a logic to it, too. Let me just draw an analogy in astronomy. One of the great discoveries of astronomy in the last 20 years is what is called dark matter, which is a, a mysterious form of matter that is invisible to the eye that seems to be guiding the universe much more than visible matter does. So if matter is invisible and has an effect, why would the spiritual world not have a similar reality, which is exactly what Hmm. we're saying with the angels. Now, the details of the angels, we have to separate artistic rendering from what the scriptures actually say. And to my knowledge, except in the book of Revelation, I'm not sure that there is, and I could be wrong here, but I don't recall any detailed description of the angels, their appearance, all the rest. It is just that they are the messengers of God. They are the spiritual beings that do God's bidding, oftentimes as messengers, as uh, bringers of healing, right? And Michael, of course, in his um, um, in his defense, right, of heaven. Yes. Yes. So, what is c- contained in Scripture about the angels is revealed truth. So, yes, though that we certainly hope. What what an artist thinks an angel looks like, well, that's open to interpretation. Now, did Jesus have a guardian angel? It's an excellent question. I, I'm not sure there's any definitive opinion on that or teaching on that, except that the scriptures say the angels waited upon Jesus, if you remember when he was tempted in the desert. So he did yes. have angels at his disposal who served him. Now, whether or not one of them was for in his humanity's guardian angel, I honestly do not know the answer to that question.
0: Yeah. Fascinating Mm -hmm. to think about, though. Oh,
1: this sort of stuff. I love this sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Could you think of things in all new terms? Mm
0: -hmm. Yes, exactly. So, if you have a question for for Bishop Frank, send it in on social media or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. And we'd like to thank Foundations in Faith. It's a grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization that makes it possible for us to bring, let me be frank, to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport. And you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Excellency, what a great thank you for today. <laughs>
1: yeah, my pleasure. I had a lot of fun, as um, always, as
0: always. Yeah. And uh, may I ask you for your blessing?
1: Absolutely. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come upon us, O Holy Spirit, with your power and grace, that we may always be faithful and courageous witnesses of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we ask, Holy Father, that you bless us. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, my friend, I will
0: see you next week. We're back from walking. Yes. Thanks, Excellency. Safe travels best, and speak. Godspeed too. you. All the best. Ciao.